FM and Arbor. Every day she gets up late. Her whiskers are never straight. Hey! Then she runs to catch the bus. It's exercise. That's a plus? This is Baby Mouse. Another boring day at school. Where nothing's ever cool. <sighs> no action and no thrills. Just fractions and lunchroom spills. Yeah! This is Baby Mouse. When she's late for class, it's not because she's too slow. It's because her locker turned into a squid. Messy whiskers aren't allowed. Hey, there's Felicia. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Jennifer Holm is here in the studio. Um, Jennifer, welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, it's it's brilliant to have you here, and I'm trying not to laugh because the, the lead song was The Baby Mouse theme song right. for one of your series of books. Um, this this series you wrote with your brother, Matthew. Yep. Home and um, and that's one of... So could you tell us a little bit about the this theme song for Baby Mouse? Yeah, it was so funny to just hear it playing back because... Um, so my brother, Matt, is the illustrator for Baby Mouse, which is a graphic novel for elementary school kids. And, you know, like many um, grown-ups, he was an aspiring musician when he was in high school he was in like a garage band and cool. so, I know really and so we um one of our baby mouse books was baby mouse the musical and so um we had the idea let's do a a, a theme song for the book and then for baby mouse and it was like he was waiting his entire life for somebody to ask him to write a theme song so he actually wrote the lyrics and we we sing on it we sang on it, and then is um, that you as Baby Mouse? That's me as Baby Mouse. That's Matt singing <laughs> most of the lyrics, and then the guy who actually wrote um, the song is Marty Beller, who's the drummer for They Might Be Giants. So we actually recorded it in his basement of his house. So the last time I had headphones on, we were like in his basement. <laughs> and talk about we were well off air. We were talking about the eighties. Yes. Um, so that's you know they might be giants. I know. We, we could I know. play them too. How so? You never probably never thought I'm gonna be in his basement cutting a song for Baby Mouse the musical. No, so those are things you can't definitely not. And it's <laughs> and Matt, my brother's like such a crazy fan of the Giants. Like he, um, when he and his wife got married, they played the, their music going down the aisle. They had a very goth wedding actually. <laughs> Was it really? Yes. So all the best of the eighties exactly. elements were involved. It was all the highlights of the eighties. <laughs> Doc Martens, you know, on the bride. It was fabulous. Lace up, like the, lace up. the boot. Lace yes. Up. That's great. I know. Well, um, now I'm I'm sort of inhabiting the 80s in my head. But what I wanted to, to mention was you are no stranger to college radio. Um, Jenny, you, you yes. were a DJ at Dickinson College. Oh, my goodness. So just walking down here, I just, you know. I saw the door and it said 88.3 and I didn't realize that, that it was the whole bandwidth for all the college radio stations. But 
right? Well, I don't know if maybe it, it's, it's not. Actually, is it? That's what you were asking. Well, me. I'm like, what? What are the chances? Maybe if maybe Tex might pipe in in a moment and the voice from beyond. <laughs> a lot of them are 88.3, but I don't know how that got started. Yeah, it's, uh, some of them are not 88.3. And because CBN College Broadcasting, okay, network. Right, text, yeah. Well, anyway, but you're... Campus Broadcasting campus. Network. Oh, campus. Oh, oh. It's okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, you know, the late 80s, I went to a little college, Dickinson College in central Pennsylvania, and um, yeah, I was, a, I was a DJ, and it was in the basement of the student union, just like now, it's fabulous, but uh, I was trying to remember how did I get the gig, and it oh, was... Right. So it's always that nobody ever wanted to do the midnight to 5 a.m. shift, the you know the after midnight shift and so they always had you start out at like three in the morning (laughs) so you could play whatever you wanted so I I had an alternative show and then you just kind of have your friends come over and chat on the air because nobody's up listening in a in a very small town at three in the morning but they but they probably were Jenny well they probably were and they're probably listening now and they're like all these years Jenny made good (laughs) I still have the t-shirt I would have worn it if I'd known so support college radio. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I've spent a long time on couches in the basement of the college radio station. So, And you, we'll, we'll let you sit on ours afterwards. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for coming, actually, Aww. to the studio. And because, well, let's announce the, the, the reason that what brought you to Ann Arbor, um, yep. besides our this fantastic conversation i'm so excited that we're having is that you're um the the lecturer for the the children's literature actually where i just am losing the name of it which is very unprofessional of me the mm. i know I left. <laughs> see n- is, now we're both like tra- is, now we're both classic radio djs yeah. i'm like i left it in my purse too <laughs> And it is here. I feel I'm now I'm completely red like an apple. Right? <laughs> um, well, we'll ha- oh, here it is. See, I, uh, there you go. Sarah Marwell, Lamstein Children, li- Children's Literature Lecture. And this is tomorrow at this five is, o'clock. Yep. At the Art Museum. Yes. So people can. And come, it's free to the public. Come one, come all. Yep. Bring your kids if you've got Baby Mouse fans. Yeah. And you'll be signing books afterwards. Totally. And Jenny. Yeah. And, and um. And I saw that you also requested um, like a pat, like an easel to draw on. So will there be? Yeah. If, there, uh, if I have like a bunch of kids in the audience, we're going to do some mad baby mouse drawing up there. That's <laughs> oh, really great. Which what is that even is it? Are you going to draw her as a mad scientist? Or you know what? what? I take requests. So the, I ask the kids, what, what would you like? If you could have baby mouse be anything, be anywhere, any what, any why, any who, what would you have baby mouse be? And the things that kids come up with are... You know, there's some of the typical things like, I want Baby Mouse as a princess, Baby Mouse princess. <laughs> um, but probably one of the very best requests was this um, little boy said, Baby Mouse is a lawyer. I said, as a lawyer? He said, yes. And she is saying, I object. <laughs> like he had thought it through and obviously he watched the too whole, The frame that he wanted yes. to. Yeah. And and maybe watch too much L.A. Law. I was just going to say. I wonder what I was wondering what he was watching after school. But actually, it couldn't be that, right? That's been off the air. <laughs> L.A. Law. Now we're Since dating ourselves. The eighties. Yeah. Law and Order reruns. Maybe. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, well, Jenny, you say it like um, in part of your bio. You said when you got to Dickinson College, that's where you like where I really started writing. 
what did you mean by that? Like what, because when, when you were a kid, you were an avid reader. Right. And there's that sort of, I, I think of it now as the Jenny myth story of you raking with yes. one hand and reading a book. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you always were reading. Were you also writing, like keeping, well, we've got here one of your other books on the table, Middle School is Worse Than Meatloaf. Right. Well, so I wasn't, I was a huge, I was a real um, reader. I'm one of um, five kids. I'm the middle child. I'm the only girl. So that's just very, it was a very interesting dynamic growing up, as you may imagine. But um, yeah, so one of my neighbors, um, after I started getting published, my mom told him, he said, I'm not surprised. I remember she was supposed to be raking the leaves one day. And I, I looked out front and there she was holding a rake. And just reading a book in the other hand. So, <laughs> so just barely. Just barely raking the lawn. Um, yeah, so I wasn't a diary keeper by any means. But um, I I think when I went away to college, um, it's just that wonder. I mean, college is such a great experience. You know, I grew up in a very small town, actually. We were talking. Audubon, Pennsylvania. Audubon, Pennsylvania, a little town outside of um, Philadelphia. Um, known for John James Audubon, the bird guy. He had a house there. <laughs> That was the claim to fame. Um, but yeah, pretty. it was a pretty rural town when I was growing up. Um, and so it was exciting to go off to college. You just kind of everything, all the tentacles free up. And so um, I actually had a, I was not a, um, I wasn't an English major, actually. I was an international studies major. So I'm the product of a good liberal arts education. <laughs> but, um, but I had... Um, the religion teacher, um, one of the religion teachers who was like an emeritus teacher at the time I was in school, he was always um, an amateur kind of working poet. And um, I had uh, audited one of his classes and then we just became great friends. And so for years after he retired, um, up until he died, we would we wrote poems to each other and became really good friends. He married my husband and I. Um, yeah, so I had this really amazing um, inspirational writer in my life. So who was a religion teacher. Yes, so that was like you, so beautiful. How did you even, so how did poems come up? I'm trying to, I'm, I can't remember quite. So it was, um, it was one of those, he was like one of those classic, um, he and his wife were like a couple on campus. So she actually ran the archive at the college, the historical archive. And that was my part-time job. And so, so you've always had an interest then yes. in the historical archive Yes, and she, as well. well, she was the one who really kind of got me started a little bit with teaching me how to do research. Um, her name was Martha Slotten, and she was a, and she is a ar retired archivist. And, um, you know, when people um, donate to archives, it's kind of random. You know, some, sometimes they'll donate fabulous old, you know, historical documents, and sometimes they'll walk in. Somebody, I remember once donated a box of, of um, memorabilia from Elvis. I mean, how do you catalog it? It was kind of <laughs> odd. So I kind of got used to crawling through boxes of other people's lives because generally we would get for the collection, we would get the donations when somebody died who had been an alum, you know, had gone to school there. So there was always, it was always in the past generally. So that was kind of interesting. And people tended to donate a lot of um, diaries and mostly paper kind of correspondence. So... And so this is how, because your your books, because we'll we'll also be talking about the trouble with May Amelia, uh, the the sequel uh, to to your Newberry Honor book, our only May Amelia, mm -hmm. and um, and uh, the other books. We've got more on the table. We've got Penny from Heaven, and um, where's the turtle? Where's our 
Turtle in Paradise and yep. the Keys. Yep. Um, and each of these are in a different um, time period yeah. that you're looking at. And so it's amazing that this may have been something that was a, a key, like this recent crawling around through the boxes of the archives, as you said. It was totally, maybe- I mean, what happened was, um, so that kind of like lit the bug. Um, I just started to, you know, be obsessed with archives and old documents and looking at how people talked and when they kept a diary, you know, what were they concerned about? You know, so even if you look at something 200 years ago, they're concerned about the same things. Like, are they going on a date tonight? You know, (laughs) so things haven't changed that much. Interestingly (laughs) enough. Well, let's, you know what, before we go for a quick break, um, I'll just read the short bio out of the back of the book. Um, just to set us up here, Jennifer L. Holmes, great-grandmother, emigrated from the Bahamas to Key West in 1897. Um, I should say this is on the book jacket of Turtle in Paradise uh, out with Random House. Jennifer is the author of two other Newbery Honor books, Our Only May Amelia and Penny from Heaven. She is also the author of several other highly praised books, including Middle School is Worse Than Meatloaf and the Baby Mouse series, which she collaborates on with her brother, Matthew Holm. Jennifer lives in California with her husband and two children. You can visit her website at jenniferholm.com. And here, I think, can you get to the Baby Mouse song from your website too, Jennifer? Or maybe soon, soon. right? Yeah. I know. I need to update the website. In fact, I know somebody might, who might be listening is saying she should have updated it already. Oh, no. <laughs> well, no judgment here. Exactly. No judgment, obviously, from the person who is scrambling to find your talk, the name of the talk tomorrow, which is one that everyone looks forward to every year. So oh. thanks for coming to do it. Uh, the Sarah Marwell Lamstein Children's Literature Lecture. Um, tomorrow at the Art Museum, uh, Jennifer Holm will be there reading and maybe drawing a baby mouse. Um, if one of you kids out there listening gets there and asks for one, uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. You've got Living Writers.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, I'm so happy to have Jennifer Holm here. Jennifer L. Holm. What's what's the L stand uh, for? I Jenny? know. Louise. Louise? Oh, okay. Is that a bad <laughs> question? <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's the, um, it was kind of a, uh, um, my dad used to call me Jenny, Jenny Lou Who when I was little. Oh. I know, but Louise, just, you know. We all have issues with our names. I mean, Jennifer, there's a lot of Jennifers from the 60s and 70s, and I'm one of millions. So. I, I, and I like how you say Jenny. Like when I accidentally said Jennifer could, talking with you, mm-hmm. I felt overly formal suddenly to have said it. Like as if I know I was... because the Jennifers when I'm like in trouble with my mom or something. <laughs> like Jennifer. <laughs> and, and did she ever say Jenny Lou Who like your dad? No, mm-hmm. no. And Jen sometimes. The 80s was a big Jen time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. An the, unfortunate the, time. The Jen era. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, let's see. That was Depeche Mode. Thank yes. you for... <laughs> that was a nice blast from the past. It was. I think we got a little lost in listening to it. <laughs> um, anyway, I actually used that song in one of my college presentations. That's awesome. Without explaining it. No, <laughs> no. People, the, the professor thought, what, what is she doing? What is she doing? Um, but let's actually... Do you mind, Jenny, if we hear... Um, uh, a bit from Turtle in Paradise. Yeah, so I'm going to read just a little, a little um, opening sting from Turtle in Paradise. Um, it's actually the um, starting on the first page, and the um, the chapter is Rotten Kids. Everyone thinks children are sweet as Necco wafers, but I've lived long enough to know the truth. Kids are rotten. The only difference between grown-ups and kids is that grown-ups go to jail for murder. Kids get away with it. So that kind of sets up the whole tone of Turtle's um, personality, I think. When you started Turtle in Paradise, um, did you, was that the first thing about the Turtle character that came to you, like her voice? And was that, is is that a re- like how, you know how, or how, yeah. did, how did that book start for you? You know what, usually Jenny? the voice definitely comes first. Um, I think in this case, what happened was the place came first. Because which is, of your Because of your my great family connection, or? yeah. So my, um, my great-grandmother um, is what they call Key West Conk. So she was born in the Bahamas. She's, her family Bahamian. And then a lot of them um, emigrated to Key West at the turn of the century. And they were... Um, they called themselves conks because when they lived in the Bahamas, they would fish for conch. They were conch fishermen, like the big, you know, pretty shells. And so they settled in Key West and they often settled on little lanes. And then the, the lanes were named, took their last name, Curry Lane. And um, if you walk around Key West, you'll see all these lanes. And that's what that's from. So um, my... How did this start too? What was the spark? Was you, this was this the diary that came? No, no. That was this one was Amelia. a fu- this was a funny one because um so my so my mother's my, my gra- great grandmother's side of the family they were all from Key West. I still have family down there, but um I was I was kind of in between books. I had written Penny from Heaven, and I was actually going through like a writer's block period of my life. Um, and so that's when you eat chocolate ice cream. Is yes, that what you said on your website. <laughs> eat a lot of chocolate ice cream. Um, and cupcakes now. And um, I wasn't really sure what to write next. And I was um, hanging out with my editor. And I said, well, maybe I should write a science fiction book. And she said, Jenny, you write historical fiction. You know, I think you're a little, you know, tired or something. And I was tired because I just had a baby too. So I was exhausted. But um, she said, is it true that your, your mom's family is from Key West? And 
she got that because in um, Penny from Heaven, there's just a little throwaway line about how Penny's grandmother is from Key West also because I was using my own Nana. And I said, yeah, no, no, they're from Key West. She's like, that's a pretty strange place to grow up. You know, Jimmy Buffett, Margaritaville. And I was like, no, no, but it wasn't really like that until the 70s. It didn't change. And before then, it was kind of a pretty poor, depressed place. And so that was the image I had in my mind. But I realized that most people didn't have that image in their head. It was more like a spring spring break kind of place. So I wanted to explore that. And so how how did you start some of the research with that one then? Did you, um, yeah, how did you do that? You know, with all of this, it's like, it's sort of a little bit from everything. I mean, talking with my mom a lot. Um, Well, my my grandmother, my great grandmother was dead, but I remembered her from when I was a kid. But, you know, having my mom help me remember all the little details, um, reconnecting with family who lived down there and talking to them. But that's just kind of like the first ingredient. If it's like, if you think of it as like a cake, that's like the flour. So then I um, spend a lot of time in the archives. So I, of course, went to um, the um, Monroe County library system is like the big public library system in southern Florida. And so they have a great library right in Key West. And they have like an amazing archive. And you kind of go in the back and there's this one guy who knows everything about Key West. And so it was also even just kind of like... Is he a conk? He's not. It's very interesting. Yeah, and this is like my little theory that I think people who are from the place sometimes take everything for granted. But when you come from outside, you see all the details a little bit more clearly. So, yeah, but he wasn't. But he was just had lived there for so many years and knew everything about it. And um, so I he helped me with, you know, get some more general research. And then I said, I would like to start, you know, I want to start interviewing people that aren't in my family. Um you know, who would have been alive during the Great Depression. And he said, oh, yes, well, you might want to call this this lady Miss Gardner. Um, and I said, okay. So I'm kind of used to randomly calling people on the phone. So I picked up the phone and I said, hi, I, I write children's books and my great-grandmother is from Key West. Her name is Jenny Lewin. I was just wondering, would you mind if I come over and talk to you? Did she know her? She said, I knew your grandmother. <laughs> she lived next door to me. We actually own her the house that she lived in. So she had grown up with her. I know. It was crazy. I mean, Odds a, of that. A different era, clearly. But she, yeah, she knew the whole family. She'd been taught by my cousin's mom. You know, it was a very small town. Back it's like the, you were meant to yes. then write this. Some of those uh, those connections that start happening. Is yeah. that what you feel like? It oh. was. Well, that was just like crazy. And then when <laughs> I got to her house, she said, here, I'm going to show you where we're related. She had gotten out the whole genealogy book and said, there you are. And there I am. You know, we were like third cousins or something I I know it was crazy that was like a magical crazy moment but that sort of then started the whole writing ball rolling and what started the writing ball because I know you said that you weren't writing diaries when you were a kid and then you did take you wrote poems then right Dickinson and 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 then was it your dad's stories yeah. about Washington State so I think you know in college I wrote some typically agonized, you know, melodramatic poetry. <laughs> it's a rite of passage. It was, and it was the late 80s, and we had the Smiths and Depeche Mode, <laughs> so it was kind of a gloomy era. But, um, yeah, no, I was, I after college, I moved to New York City, and I actually worked in advertising. Um, and um, my, I was, my dad was having some medical issues, so I was going home a lot, but at, sort of, and finally had um, taken that little turn in, your life that you start paying attention to your parents like 
for many years you kind of ignore when they tell you the charming stories of their youth because you are a youth and you don't find it charming. You know, like I walked to school through 12 feet of snow right. <laughs> and we had sawdust for lunch. You know, it's like those very Depression era stories he would tell. Um, but yeah, so I started kind of talking to him and then my his mom died and they found in her attic um, an old diary and the diary had been kept by my great aunt and um, she had started keeping it when she was 12 years old in 1900 and to pick up a kid's diary and to read it and connect with it I just thought it was amazing so yeah my it was a very funny story because my dad's sister um, f- she found the diary and so she photocopied it and sent it to all the grandchildren for a Christmas present this year that year usually we got like $20 checks but I think I was the, the only, only one. You were so you were thrilled, and everybody else was like, "What?" We're, everybody was like, "Where's the check?" So, yeah, it was a it was a great present. So, and that's then. So that is the moment where you started. Because what was? How did it happen for you, Jenny? When you thought I'm going to start writing back, like in yeah, this voice of this person? It wasn't like was, this dramatic moment where I had you know sat down and knocked off a book in two months it was a very long process I actually took me three years to write my first book Um, I was working full-time so I'd write it at night and on the weekends and then um, it took me another year to find an agent after many 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 rejections and did you just did you send out letters to pitch it or did you call them on the phone Jenny I should have called them But I didn't know. I would just mail it out. I mean, it was kind of before email. And so I just saw it as like it was $3.50 every time I mailed it out. So um, sort of like the 13th or 14th one, somebody called me back. So that was, you know, that was a good moment. <laughs> and that was the beginning of our only May Amelia then. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what, what did your dad think about seeing the oh my gosh. stories? Like he his- loved it. Yes. Yeah, no, no, he he was in heaven about it. He just, he just totally loved that somebody was, you know, the story is really about the May Amelia, her family are Finnish American immigrants. And there aren't a lot of stories out there about the Finns in this country um, or Scandinavians in general. <laughs> yeah. Um, although and- that whole girl that, you know, kick the hornet's nest guy came out of nowhere i've been writing about the scandinavians for like 10 years now and there's a really there's a a a grisly murder in the trouble with may amelia yes yeah so in the sequel there's and it's happens in the homeland yes yes and that was actually based on um real life sadly yeah i yeah i'm sorry i saw that in i know it's a great story though isn't it yeah i know yeah but that so there is so there's this um so you had you 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 preceded um, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Exactly. <laughs> the girl with like... the ponytails and overalls. <laughs> and so the your your dad's. So this is actually. Is it the? How do you pronounce the river's name? Is it the? It's Nacelle. Nacelle. It's a soft S. Yeah. Okay. So Nacelle River. Yep. And you you took moments like about the the schoolhouse, the children's, um, the farm. Yep. From the families. Because cause that's like the flower would maybe be this diary, right? Not right. to go with your metaphor. That's and then great. your imagination yeah. and what you're feeding in, that's to everything else. Yep. I really tried to imagine what it was like to be, you know, a similar situation as when I was growing up, the only girl with all these brothers. And sort of, especially when you're isolated on a farm without a lot of feminine role models, like how do you grow up? And also it's just hard work. Farms are 
kind of romanticized, I think, and they're brutal. That comes across. Yeah. This is, well, let's take a short break and then we'll, we'll talk more about all these wonderful books that we have on the table. Um, today on the program, Jennifer Holm is here. Um, her book, The Trouble with May Amelia, uh, The Baby Mouse Mad Scientist, well, the Baby Mouse series, Squish, Super Amoeba, uh, Middle School's Worse Than Meatloaf, Turtle in Paradise that we heard a piece of, um, and also Penny from Heaven. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll take a short break. Thanks to Tex for Engineering, and we'll be right back. Is this... A long time ago, a million years B.C., the best things in life were absolutely free. But no one appreciated the sky that was always blue, and no one congratulated a moon that was always new. Oh, it was planned that they would vanish now and then And you must pay before you get them back again That's what storms were made for And you shouldn't be afraid for Every time it rains Pennies from heaven Don't you know each cloud contains Pennies from heaven You'll find your fortune fallen All over town Be sure that your umbrella This is WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. And today on Living Writers, you've got Jennifer Holm, her book, The Trouble with May Amelia, Baby Mouse, Squish, and all all the lovely books we've got here. Um, that song, um, thanks for the station ID, Jenny. That oh was gosh, great. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that goes with your, your book, Penny from Heaven, mm-hmm. also an award winner. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was expecting some cheers. <laughs> the crowds. And you requested that song. Uh, I love it. Uh, yeah, that was just, that was such a fabulous era for music, too. You know, you can just hear it in his voice. It's, if, yeah, I think we were again getting mesmerized. It's different than the Depeche Mode. So. It's definitely a little <laughs> different. I don't want to put on a black sweatshirt, you know. <laughs> And leggings. <laughs> I, and, and I'm not um, safety pinning my jeans yes. with the. I'm I, a little shocked that leggings are back, I have to say. <laughs> they came, everything comes around in fashion. Mm hmm. Especially, well, you live in Northern California, right? Yep. But I feel like LA keeps trying to bring the 80s back <laughs> at these different little, you know. Um, I'm, I'm stuck in more of kind of the hippie zone. So <laughs> I'm in the Bay Area. Oh, that sounds lovely. It is. It's lovely. Well, thanks for coming to visit us in Michigan. Yeah, no, though, awesome. And, and we'll announce again tomorrow. You'll be you'll be giving a talk and a reading um, at the art museum at five uh, for the Sarah Marwell Lamstein Children's Literature Lecture. Um, so this is just yeah, this is really great to have you in town. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about 
because we ended with the the grisly murder that happened in Finland. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. Lighten it up, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we had this sort of sad song, though beautiful, <laughs> um, the Bing Crosby number. Um, but th- when you're writing the the you're writing books for um, you know a, a youth audience here, but also that is that they're also enjoyed by ad- adults. I don't right. mean to say it's it's, um, and I feel like the term might be emergent reader right so like you know it's it's if you're in the industry they kind of start to delineate by the age like young adult but i think it's just as burgeoning it's more of a it's kind of like a realization that you know you don't have to be a kid to enjoy the same books that the kids are reading i mean um i think one of the greatest examples there's this amazing website it's called um the um the the nerdy book club and just google nerdy book club and it's adults who read and, you know, some of them are educators, but they read children's books and they're very enthusiastic and passionate about it um, and talk about because you sort of I mean, what is everybody talking about right now? I was actually just in Kentucky last weekend and it was like ground zero for the Hunger Games. I mean, every single person, adults and kids were lining up. And so I don't think you have to just say that this book is specifically for a kid. You can totally appreciate it as an adult. So. And that, and that is such a it was sort of an unsettling term to see emergent readers. <laughs> I think it's just because if you're unfamiliar with right. the terminology yeah. that different groups use, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think what what um it seems that they use it's like you know there's picture books and then there's early chapter books, sort of for the early end of elementary school. Um, and then I'd, graphic I'd, graphic novels like Baby Mouse, which are really just. Um, it's a it's a newfangled term, graphic novel, but it really is just you know a longer version of a comic book. Um, and then when you kind of get up to the Turtle in Paradise, Penny from Heaven, that's more middle grade readers, so fourth to um, seventh grade, and then young adults pretty much takes off when they're teenagers. And why why did you choose this audience? So I don't I didn't or, like yeah, yeah no I I actually fell into it because I um. I just, uh, when I wrote May Millia, I just really, I can really remember what it was like to be 12 years old. Um, and it just seemed like, a, it still strikes me, it's such an interesting time. Um, I don't know, I remember those years very clearly. I don't really remember or remember fondly my later high school years, which is probably why I don't write more of the older teen fiction because I'm trying to still forget those years. <laughs> Tamp those <laughs> exactly. down. I know. I, I think you said you barely survived the middle school right, right. years. Yeah. Middle school was rough. And um, so um, I kind of worked out middle school. I did a book called Middle School is Worse Than Meatloaf. And well, you found a box. Your mom gave you a box of... You didn't keep diaries, but right. apparently... We kept everything else <laughs> but diaries. So... Uh, yeah, I don't know how my mom did it with five kids. She kept like a box for each kid with all of our stuff. And she kept a lot of the typical things that parents keep like report cards and, you know, certificates of student council awards and, you know, all those things. And valor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but she kept completely strange things. She kept notes from my like life science class in sixth grade. She kept... um notes I passed in class to other kids. Like I have this whole thing of notes that she must have just taken out of my backpack and thrown in the box of of us making fun of teachers. Like there's this whole classic note about us, me and this other girl who I don't even remember her 
drawing a picture back and forth about the substitute teacher that we thought she was wearing a wig and we were taking bets on it. Um, I know, but I couldn't believe my mom found it and then she kept it. Um, so yes. Yeah, so so she, that was sort of the, was that the spark for this hybrid book Yes, that, that was sort of the spark for that to sort of, and it's kind of, it's like more of a, it's like you're looking through a kid's backpack. And so um, she's, the sequel to it is actually coming out in August and it's called Eighth Grade is Making Me Sick. So that'll be out from Random House pretty soon. And is it with the the notes in class, the lists? Yep, the different... it's, it's all that, you know, but what's been interesting was I started, so I'm, we're, it's, it's really a collaboration um, and the illustrator, her name's Alicia Castaldi, um, she's an amazing illustrator and she's working on the second book too. And, um, what's been so shocking to me mostly, cause she's a lot younger than me is that the technology has changed so much that originally when we were making the first book, it took a long time to get published, but you know, originally I had, you know, VHSs and V, you know, taking <laughs> <laughs> VCR from the video store and now, yeah, you know, we had to switch that. Now I'm like, what are we gonna do in the next one? Is it Netflix? <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's how fast everything changed. Well, so it'll be a a real time capsule, not just for the middle school time. Yes. <laughs> you know, now it's in in the new book. We're gonna have you know tablets and you know cell phones where you can really text a lot back and forth and yeah so you would have to you, you couldn't pass a note really that right that easy, yeah. exactly yeah so that's i mean kids still sort of talk on the down low but they just text now and you you mentioned you mentioned collaboration and it's interesting because that's something that seems to be a process that works really great for you because yeah your brother matt your your husband with the stinky files, the stink files, yeah. Oh, the stink, well, sorry. that that was kind of a one off. We're still married, you know. I wouldn't recommend collaborating with your your true love. <laughs> they might not stay your true love, but we survived it. Um, but no, I I um collaborate with Matt on Baby Mouse and Squish. Um, and I think what was interesting um about both of these, uh, Baby Mouse and Squish in middle schools, traditionally in children's publishing. You, there isn't a ton of collaboration because when you think of picture books, usually right. a picture book is um, written by an author and then illustrated by an artist, and they often never meet because the that edit is so bizarre, I isn't know, it? Since it's, it's presented as if it's this whole this. Yeah, it's not. It's just the editor actually chooses the illustrator or the art director does. Um, so yeah, so I feel like I I. You know, I feel like I'm breaking the law sometimes by talking to the artists and and also they, you know, it's so important that you know what they're thinking and how what the limits and what they bring to the table. I mean, with middle school and eighth grade is making me sick. I mean, Alicia designed the entire look and feel of the book. I mean, it was completely in her hands. So. You know. And I can't imagine you doing Baby Mouse separate from what the. No the images would look like. Yeah, so Matt, my youngest brother, um, he was always an amateur uh, cartoonist, and then when he went to college, he actually—I um, mean, he was very talented even when he was young. He had an internship with Tony Auth, who was the political cartoonist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He's still like a working political cartoonist, big guy, and um, that was like a great experience for Matt because he um, 
found out that he didn't want to be a political cartoonist because you have to read a lot of newspapers. <laughs> and he just wanted to do something original. So um, many years later, we started working on Baby Mouse together. How did that, yeah, what was the genesis of that? You know, it was, it's kind of, it was a, it was a subway story. We were both living in New York City. I was in Brooklyn. <laughs> he was living in Queens. Um, I was still working in advertising. He was working as an editor. He used to work at Country Living Magazine. I know. <laughs> you know, it's not the typical background. Um, but uh, I was having a bad day. And I think um, it's sort of this image of this, you know, little sassy mouse with attitude popped in my head. And so the next time um, we saw each other all the time. So when I saw him, I gave him the picture. But um, I... So you drew the original baby mouse. I did. Or... And then he has, he, he lost the original drawing. Like it was on a napkin. He, he he probably used it for Chinese food or something. <laughs> it's gone forever. It's like Matt. I know my mom's has been in your archive. It could have been <laughs> in the Louvre <laughs> next to a Monet or something. <laughs> yeah, um, that'll be a baby mouse. Exactly. Book. Yeah, I know. I have, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I need to write that down. But you drew the original one, so that's and I should have clicked with that earlier when you said you were going to draw a baby mouse tomorrow at the art museum. Right. Ooh, that's also an opportunity to leave a baby mouse at the art museum. Exactly. Here. Yes. There. Not exactly. The, I'm going to be in an art museum. Ah, oh, my brother's going to be so jealous because he he was like a double major. He had like a art major, I think. So, but he's a proper artist. <laughs> but he so he would just kind of takes the ideas and runs with it but you drew the original character and I drew I drew a very rough original character and then he did it all um but he also collaborates a lot more than just the art um because he was an editor for so many years and he is a writer too so he um I'll usually write the manuscript for Baby Mouse we sort of will try to figure out what the story is together come up with an you know a core concept and then come up with the general arc and then I'll I'll kind of knock it out. Oh, that's the beats. Cool. And then um, inevitably I'll get stuck and I'll leave big stars on the paper and say, I don't know what to do here, Matt, 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 Matt. And he has to kind of go in and <laughs> That's and like a game in. then a little bit where you're... It is. And it's actually, it's great because the historical fiction is hard to write because it's just all on my shoulders. And it's so much nicer to have a collaborator to bounce stuff off of. And you said that it, Baby Mouse came on the subway then like that's when that idea when you were having a bad day no I was well so I was actually at home but it was kind of like a subway story in that oh. in New York City like there's the whole there was the whole Dodgers um uh I'm gonna get in big trouble with the New Yorkers you know there's two ball teams at one point so they would go to the games on the subway rival games so oh but I was okay but what I was also trying to think was baby mouse before you were writing the historical fiction of our um so I actually, our only may Amelia right I actually wrote the historical fiction first so I um was interested in doing a graphic novel for since I had been a kid because I grew up with all these boys and they read comics and what was your favorite comic when you were growing up it was um so it was Prince Valiant, actually, because my... That was... I was not expecting yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's text heavy. Yeah. And it's just... It's, it's, if I remember right. It is. No, it's a lot of description. It's kind of old school strip comics. And um, so Sunday paper. Sunday paper comics, very much so. And I think why I was drawn to it mostly, with, there were a couple of interesting female characters in it because... Um, I, you know, I wasn't enamored of the traditional superhero characters because there weren't any. I mean, it was all 
Batman and Superman and Plastic Man, and they're all good guys. Wonder Woman, but, but Wonder Woman, you know, I'm gonna somebody somebody out there is gonna say, but she was great, but I didn't identify with her, you know, because she ran around in her underwear. I mean, she just I, she was just not a role model. I and a. I a lasso whip. Yes, that's a whole nother. <laughs> <laughs> now things are, now things are clicking. I am understanding yeah. things in a new way. Jenny. <laughs> well, let's take a short break sure. and then we'll come back and maybe talk some more about graphic novels. That sounds great. That sounds good. Today on the program, Jennifer Holm is here. Um, she will be reading tomorrow at UMA and. You should go. It's five o'clock. Sarah Marwell Lamstein Children's Literature Lecture with Jennifer Holm. You've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. If you will listen, a song I will sing about my daddy who ran a log train. Way down in the Southland in old Alabama. We lived in a place that they called Chapman Town And late in the evening when the sun was low Way off in the distance you could hear the train go The folks would come running and Mama would sing Get the supper on the table, here comes a log train Every morning at the break of day He'd grab his lunch bucket and be on his way Winter or summer, sunshine or rain Every morning he'd run that old log train A-sweating and swearing all day long Shout and get up their oxen, keep moving along. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hutzel. Today on the program, Jennifer Holm is here. Um, Jenny's here, and because of that, we're playing a logging song. That was awesome. <laughs> Thanks to Tex. That's <laughs> sweet. Um, so the logging song, <laughs> um, it's sort of not going, it's it's not really part of the graphic novel, what that you're no. doing right now. There's no, or, or is there on deck? There could be. A logging graphic novel. <laughs> there could novel. be a logging baby mess. <laughs> it would be. It would be unusual. Now there's two more in the series that are going to come exactly. up. Exactly. You're going to get a dedication now. <laughs> uh, now I'm like doing my mad scientist um, sort of evil hand gestures okay well that's strange um jenny back to may amelia for a quick moment sure um because that's why why text chose that this this logging song yeah. because that's a a big part of that was part of the research you must have done was your family then involved in the logging or were they on the farm and the logging was something you found out in washington state and astoria for the time yeah so it was both so they the whole town the whole area was a big logging industry it still is um warehousers probably yes. yeah they're there um, but yeah, I mean, everybody, a lot of the boys would go and work at the logging camps. And then my grandfather's, um, the farm he was at, 
they were on the river, and so they would send the logs down the river. And if the if the logs overshot onto the riverbank, they could take the logs and then sell them and make money. And so, and that uh, in the in the book too, you also it's that's a dangerous time because people, if you're like washing out clothes or yep. swimming, I mean the logging industry in general is like heartbreaking. I think you know. Um, if you heard like a certain kind of whistle that meant somebody got hurt, you know, um, and then all the wives and kids knew that maybe their dad was hurt. So it was just a very scary, I mean, it still is pretty terrifying business, but then it was even worse because of medicine. And and yeah. in your books, you don't shy away from these, these dark moments, even though this is the audience is for a younger reader. Yeah. I mean, that was, I didn't, I don't, I didn't do it. And I was, um, I was surprised when my editor let me leave it all in <laughs> sometimes, you know? Um, Why? Wait, yeah. I know it's hard now because now I have kids when I've written most of these books, my kids were, I didn't have children or they were young. So I think, um, as sometimes you get nervous about what your kids are reading. Um, but I mean, my dad was a doctor when I was growing up and my mom was a nurse. So they would just talk about the worst cases at the dinner table. So we grew up um, just hearing about the horrible things that happened to everybody. And it was just like past the potatoes. Oh, yeah, he lost his leg. You know, and it was, it was a very everyday, it's kind of that grim conversation that doctors often have with each other that you kind of see on ER or something. They kind of can't leave their work at the office. Mm. But I very much grew up with that. So, um so I like those details. <laughs> and and you could you could handle it. Like when you were yeah. a kid, it's like different. It's strange what kids are protected from in some way and then what they're bombarded with. And it's okay to... I know. And I, I kind of feel like it's okay. They're going to... They're seeing it anyway. Oh, boy. You know, it's up to the parent to decide, you know, what they feel comfortable with They're having their kid exposed to. But I kind of am of the opinion it's good to be honest to a certain degree and this and this is also since it's historical too Mm -hmm. you're talking about things maybe even that were in the diary that happened like they lost a baby sister yeah um and so that's part of the story right and that was just like that's just like life you know i mean back then kids you know were dropping like flies if you had a bunch of babies you'd be lucky if you know two of them lived to adulthood just we didn't have vaccinations and I mean, that was what st- does strike me still even looking back, like that death was much more present. They didn't, you know, your little sister died. She didn't go to the funeral home. You then maybe had the body in your little family room for a couple of days while you waked her. I mean, it was just a different time. So, And one of the ki- the brothers goes and they have to get a hand because he lost his hand at right. the, at the, at the, when, with the logging and, yep. and they bury the hand in the yard and it goes with them to the next farm. Yeah. <laughs> so don't anyway. leave your hand behind. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, well, cause there'll be amoebas. No, <laughs> exactly. Yes. So let's, let's talk about these graphic novels because this is something that you, like you said, you read a lot of cartoons, comics, yep. zines, graphic novels yep. as you were coming, like all in your formative years. Yep. And you say it made you a better writer. What? I mean, I think it really does make you a better writer because um, it teaches you all the same skills that you need to read a book. You read from left to right. Um, you have to, you know, understand what the story arc is. But I think it, it breaks it down even more because it breaks out the dialogue 
you know, it literally breaks out the dialogue into speech bubbles. So you really have to, you can really see how sentences come together. So, and it really breaks out a story um, and visually describes it. And I think that just helps you to grasp, you know, and become a better writer, actually. I, I really. And I love how you said off, off air that they're, um, the graphic novel is returning to an age group where it also used to be like a, a, a genuine, you know, there used to be yeah. graphic novels. And then there were through a period where the graphic novel became for like the more sophisticated. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it kind of the poor comic book has been through a lot in this country. <laughs> um, that can be the quote. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> show the pull quote. Yes. Poor comic book. Um, it was, um, you know, it started off kind of aimed at an audience for kids, you know, Little Orphan Annie, a lot of the classic comics, Flash Gordon, of course, Prince Valiant, with a, adults could appreciate, but with a young reader in mind. Um, and then in the 50s, there was this Comics Code Authority, which is kind of this censorship backlash against comics, um, and really watered down comics and started to control content. And then... Is uh, that when we had Family Circus? No, yeah. that's oh. a mean job. I take it back. No calls on that. Well, the, no. but, but this... <laughs> But the 70s came right after that. So think of the comics of the 70s. You know, the Wonder Twins were white right after that. So Activate. Exactly. And then there was just, then it kind of then went to the adult stage where it was the Alan Moore and, you know, beautiful stuff. Neil Gaiman, Mouse, super dark, super heavy, you know, the Holocaust as a graphic novel. So then that went to a totally different direction and it became almost like art for adults. And it's still that still is a huge part of the industry. But um, where it lost its way a little, I think, was for the original readers, which were the kids, you know. Um, and with the newspaper circulation kind of going down, like, we were kids, we probably read more Calvin and Hobbes or Peanuts oh. and the Sunday paper. Um, that's not happening quite as much. So, yeah, we really wanted to bring back comics to eight-year-olds, you know, and, um, and really wanted to publish on the old model that it's... Um, something that a kid can buy you know it's a book that a kid right. can buy like we used right. to be able to buy comics at the grocery store like the price of the comic is very affordable it's like the archies or so yeah, like you could see them yes. on the right at the checkout totally stand. that model which i think is a very kid-friendly model even the design of the book um I, we, we can't, it's a square it's small it's it's almost pocket size yeah if we you had a large if we you had overalls <laughs> totally we wanted it to be something they could toss in their backpack you know um we wanted it to just be a few colors, keep it kind of clean, keep it simple. Because kids at this age, you know, early elementary school, they're still just learning to read. Um, so not overwhelm them too much. But still, there's sort of a different level of jokes if they're an older reader that they'll get, you know. And you were saying that this the the fan base for the kids, like this is something that they they are responding to. Yeah, so I think the Baby Mouse and Squish fans are our... Our craziest fans, our awesomest fans. <laughs> um, they'll show. How so? They'll show up at signings completely dressed as Baby Mouse. You know, um, we've had them send videos. It's just, it's a very enthusiastic audience. Is th now, are some of these videos on BabyMouse.com? No, but there's some floating around YouTube now. <laughs> so, but be careful out there, kids. If I you're know. On YouTube. <laughs> I know. So have a parent be with you. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's just a very, um, it's just an exciting 
time to be a kid too, I think, or early elementary school, middle elementary school, you know, um, everything's still kind of new and you forget it, you know, like every, and also everything is kind of a big deal. Like you forget your lunch in elementary school. You're like, Oh my goodness, my day is ruined. My life is ruined. And as an adult, you want to say, just get over it. (laughs) But you have to try to remember like when you're a kid, that's everything, you know, what you have for lunch. And so are you, when you're writing um, Baby Mouse and Squish and you and Matt are sometimes talking about, like, what, um, is it that you just have these, like, remarkable memories? Because those times are really emblazoned in your memory. <laughs> yeah, I would say elementary school is burned into my memory, too, in a good way. Like, I have very fond memories of elementary school. Um, but yeah, Baby Mouse definitely bears some resemblance to me. You know, I didn't like dodgeball. Um I had a best friend who was a boy, there was a mean girl, I had an annoying little brother, so a lot of the little things that she deals with, I dealt with. I think what's been interesting with Squish, Squish is sort of more based from my, um, from Matt's point of view of being a boy who was a comic success, you know, obsessed kid, um, who had like a friend who was a boy and a friend who was a girl and the dynamics of three kids together and so I'm, I'm it's more of a challenge actually because I'm like so what was it like for you? I know what it was like for me to be the girl. What was it like for the boy? So, and so how? And there's also you're getting some science facts. We wanted into to, this too. Slipping a little science. Yeah, not in. to. I hope that's not a bad thing. No, science is great. No, yeah. I mean we. I think was we just grew up with science because our dad was a pediatrician, and so um, he was a very. So you had microscopes in the house. And... We didn't have microscopes. <laughs> we had um, we had uh. The petri dishes with in the fridge with the <laughs> auger. We had auger plates that my dad kept in the fridge. Next Completely to the, normal. Next to the cottage cheese because there were five kids, and so when one of us got sick, he would just culture us in the fridge, you know, and put it in there, and, and then take it into the office whenever. So I grew up thinking that was completely normal, <laughs> and to have you know like um, handouts from the drug reps, you know, antibiotics all over the house. Um, but I, we talk about it now. We're like, that was a little strange. <laughs> well, what, um, what do you think about? I, I think that you could write sci-fi too. Like I, I earlier in our conversation, you said I'm thinking of writing this, and then the editor said you are historical fiction. Don't you think it's? I think it would writers be, write. You writers do write totally, and I think you shouldn't be you shouldn't be scared of switching genres. You're not. I yeah. mean, you, that's why. And it's fine if you want to write poetry and then do, you know, historical fiction or a graphic novel. I think that's, it's, it's fun. It keeps you, it push, you know, it can push you. But I actually have great admiration for the sci-fi writers because they have to build an entire world. You know, I can just look it up. (laughs) In the archives. Exactly. So what what is next, Jenny? With the you've got so the next one is yep eighth grade is making me sick and then the new baby mouse will be out in July and it's um, baby mouse for president. I mean she's a she's a candidate we can all get behind. A cupcake in every locker. <laughs> those those are fighting words. Exactly. Those are wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the program, Jenny. This has been this has been fun. Thank you so much <laughs> and enlightening. So uh. thank you. And any final words for the young writers out there or old writers? Um, come out tomorrow night at five o'clock. If you are a kid in the audience, I will draw until my hand falls off. And that's. That's a that's a promise. <laughs> but, yep. And that's at the Art Museum. You've been listening to Living Writers today on the program. Jennifer Holm. Um, I'm T. Hetzel.
that until next time. Every day she gets up late. Her whiskers are never straight. Hey! Then she runs to catch the bus. It's exercise. That's a plus? This is Baby Mouse. Another boring day at school. Where nothing's ever cool. <sighs> no action and no thrills. Just fractions and lunchroom spills. Yeah, this is Baby Mouse. When she's late for class, it's not because she's too slow. It's because her locker turned into a swift. This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, March 28, 2012, in Los Angeles. I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up, it's the third day of the Supreme Court hearing on health care reform. Justices examined what parts of the law would be allowed to stand if the individual mandate is ruled unconstitutional. As scientists release new findings on the extent of climate change and extreme weather, the threat to coastal communities grows. And we'll go to Pakistan, where Pashtun women face challenges in getting ID cards necessary for voting, travel, and getting benefits. Those stories and more coming up after this news. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRN. In Mali today, thousands of people were in the streets showing their support for the coup government that seized power last week. African leaders are scheduled to travel to the country within the next 48 hours to attempt to mediate the situation. FSRN's Amadou Tembine reports from the capital. Protesters are calling on African leaders and the international community not to impose sanctions against the new regime, while government soldiers are fighting with Tuareg rebel groups in the north of the country. Tuesday night, military leaders announced a new constitution. Captain Amadou Sanogo, the joint leader who declared himself interim president, has promised to hand over power to civilians, but he did not specify when a presidential election will take place. Under the new constitution, none of the members of the transitional government will be allowed to run for parliamentary and presidential elections. Amadou Tembine, FSRN, Bamako. New tests of the damaged number two reactor at Japan's Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant show radiation readings remain well above fatal levels, and there is very little cooling.